when I was growing up, one of the traditions that we had for most of my years of growing up was that we would go camping every year. And uh, it was just a guy's camping trip. My dad would go. I would go. My brother, who was two years older than me, would go. My uncle Fred, my uncle Jack, which are my dad's brothers, would go. And my cousin Alan. And we'd go camping. And when I was a kid, I loved to camp. We would go and the tents would get all set up and everything. Uh, and we'd sit around a campfire. I, I loved just going because we would do all kinds of crazy things that, that you weren't allowed to do at home. You know, we would go and a, a big treat was we bought whole milk because in my house we weren't allowed to drink whole milk. It was always like 1%. So we're like, whole milk it is for the whole week. It's just the guys. Uh, it, was, it was things like Oreo cookies, double stuffed. As much Oreo cookies we could devour in a week, we devoured them. Bags of chips, all the stuff that, you know, all the sweet cereal. In my house, we weren't allowed to have sweet cereal. No, no cocoa puffs or none of that. We bought all the sweet cereal we could. We downed as much sugar as we could in a week. I loved everything about camping. I, I, I love camping so much because I remember growing up that uh, we, we would go to the campground and my dad would take all the bikes off and say, kids, go have fun. And we would take off and disappear and they would do all the hard work of setting up all the tents and making things everywhere, everything go. You know, I hate camping now because the last few times we went and it's been some years, I was like, it's a lot of work. But when you're a kid, it was a lot of fun, a lot of playing. But one of the things I love about camping was the campfire. We would gather around the campfire every single night, and, and we were there for two, three in the morning sometimes, just sitting around the campfire talking and, and sharing stories. And I look back, and you're like, what did you love so much about it? It was the story sharing. Because I, I learned about my Uncle Fred and, and my dad and my Uncle Jack. I learned about my grandma and grandpa. I learned about some of my other cousins as they shared stories about life when they were growing up and things they did. And, and it was so neat to sit up late. And I remember, you know, especially when we were younger, okay, kids, time you go to bed. We would sit in a tent and kind of keep listening because they're out there talking and sharing stories. And, and stories connect us relationally. To this day, I'm still close with my Uncle Fred. I was close with my Uncle Jack until the day he passed. And, and I think what connected to us was story sharing. And as you share stories, what do you do? You learn things about life. And it's funny, I'll call my Uncle Fred now. He's 85 and he goes starts telling the same stories. And, um, and that's what camping was, the same stories and repeat and kind of rewind and just tell them again. But there was such connection in that and such teaching in that because stories connect us relationally and they teach us about life. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. Now, let me just do a little quick survey. How many people are here today when you have the, the, the old, kicking it old school Bible? Paper. How many people have paper Bible? Oh, just a few. First service, it was about maybe 30% or so. How many people are doing it new school and you have it on a device of some kind? Hold that up. Yeah, a lot of you have it on a device. And that's okay. That's good. I use the device during the week. I, I just tell you, as we dive in these next three weeks, we need to have the Word of God with us. We, we need to be able to open this up. We need to be able to look at this because this is the teaching and the guidance for life. And so whether it be in a paper form or electronic form, and if you don't have an electronic Bible, I encourage you to look at version. That's the one I recommend to folks. There's all kinds of Bible reading plans and ways to encourage you to keep reading and stay on track. And as a matter of fact, if you have time right now, you can go to the app store and you can download version and, and be with us because we're going to be diving a lot of Scripture today. And I, I don't have it all on the screen. There's too much to put on the screen. Sometimes I think the screen becomes a crutch and we put our Bibles away. So it's good to get it out, whether it's this or whether it's your device, so you can highlight and, and make comments and, and take a few notes there um, as we go along. You know, Jesus was the master teacher. And he was the master teacher, and one of the ways he primary ways of teaching was through storytelling. 
he would tell a story or known as a parable and that's how he would guide his disciples and that's how he would instruct the people of the day. And he would say, well, let me tell you a story and he would tell them the story and, and, and that's what I want to do for the next three weeks. I just want us to stop and take a look at some stories, some parables that show us the heart of God. And as we understand the heart of God, then to understand that's how we're supposed to be living our lives as we, as we follow in the footsteps of Jesus as Christians. Well, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. See, what happens is we're in the middle of summertime. We are uh, July the 14th. And about, what, five weeks from school starting. But what happens, some of you are like, ah, don't tell me that. What happens is, is we get in a summer mode, and we get in a summer mode sometimes spiritually speaking. Summer mode, I mean by that is, well, I've been at the beach, I've been at the pool, I've been kicking back, I've been drinking more iced teas, lemonades, just kind of chilling, relaxing because it's summer. And sometimes that carries over into our walk with God. We get in a summer mode of the church. I mean, you look around, someone sent me just a little bit ago, they said, is everybody on vacation? I said, this is summertime. You know, you have a summer where uh, first service was jam-packed full, this service not so much. And, and that's the summertime because we're traveling, we're here, we're there. Well, that carries over many times into our walk with God. And so I want to encourage us to stay focused. I want to encourage us to, to still be grabbing onto what God's heart is and going, okay, I'm still going to work towards that even though I'm in the middle of summer. And use this series a little bit of groundwork, so to speak, of our hearts of what we're going to be going into this fall. So I don't want us to lose focus on our mission and lose focus on our purpose as individuals and as a, as a church. And I want us to be living out God's purpose. So in Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 1, here's what it says. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now, let me stop right there and give you a little bit of history. Because as we walk through Luke chapter 15, you have to understand some of the history of what's going on. See, the Jews hated the tax collectors for a couple of reasons. One reason why they hated them is because the Jews were collaborators with the Roman government. And so because they worked with the Roman government, they were not exactly liked by the Jews. But also they hated them because the tax collectors overcharged. So the government would may say, well, the fee's $100, and they're expending $100. Well, they may charge you, as one of their clients, $150. So $100 would go to the government of Rome, and $50 went in their pocket. And, and this was kind of a known practice. Like, if I'm going to do your taxes, I'm going to help you out. You're going to pay me what I charge you. And some of it was going in their pocket. So they're taking advantage of the people, and so they hated them. And then they referred to them as hanging out with the sinners, that word sinner right there means the lowest of the lowest category of society. It means the prostitutes and the thieves, those who are stealing. They're saying, that's tax collectors. And the scripture tells us that Jesus welcomed them. So they're like, what do you mean Jesus is welcoming these people? The sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the people are the lowly of the lowly. The ultra religious hated them for that. And they, and they basically were saying, if you hang out with sinners, then you're going to become like them. And there's some truth in that. Matter of fact, 1 Corinthians tells us that bad company does corrupt good character. So yeah, I think we probably have taught that to our children. Listen, and be careful choosing your friends because if you choose the wrong friends, you're probably going to be like them. And there's some wisdom in that. And they're seeing Jesus hanging out with all these people and they're wondering, what is going on? Why is he hanging out with these people who are going to lead him down the wrong path? You can't hang around with sinners for no purpose and expect your life not to be impacted. So Jesus knew his purpose. I'm going to hang around sinners, but there's a reason why I'm hanging around them. And so he goes in to tell this story. In our text today, we look at three stories. 
see three different people, and it helps us to understand God's heart for those who are lost and God's heart for those who are wandering. So let me continue in Luke 15, verse 3. Then Jesus told them this parable, this story. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. Now, now stop and think about this for a moment. The shepherd has a flock of a hundred. One decides to wander off. And the shepherd leaves the 99 and goes over here to look for the one. Now, when you first stop thinking about that, you start to think, well, that doesn't quite make sense. Why would he leave 99 over here unprotected to go over here and take care of one? My understanding as you study how the flocks would work and how shepherds work is that he didn't leave 99 unprotected because there's kind of like a, a head shepherd or a chief shepherd and then there's assistant shepherds. And so what's, the point is, is the chief shepherd, the, the lead shepherd left the 99 with the assistant shepherds, keep an eye on them, to go over here and to look for the one sheep that has wandered off. He, he didn't send an assistant he could have said, hey, assistant shepherd, go find that sheep that's wandering and bring it back. No, he didn't do that. He said, you all take care of the 99. I'm going to wander and go find this other sheep that's wandered off, going looking for that one sheep. And then he finds the sheep, and he rejoices with his friends and with his neighbors. But, but stop and think about this for a moment. I would think the sheep wanders off, and when you find the sheep, you're going to say, you bad sheep. Why did you wander away? Stay over here. The wolves are coming after you. If you go wandering off, you're going to die. Get over here with the flock. Would that not probably be a normal response? I mean, that's what I do with my dog. You all have done that before, right? Your dog does something do, d dumb, and you're like, what are you doing, you stupid dog? Why are you doing it? Matter of fact, we had that this week. I need your guys' help. Our dog has been crazy lately. For some reason, our dog has been finding poo and going and rolling in it. And we bring him in the house. We're like, what are you doing? And he, the other day, I, I brought him up. He had poo all over his back and his neck. I was like, you dog, why'd you do that, diesel? You, uh, and I'm like, why am I yelling at the dog? He doesn't know what he's doing. Besides, he's doing what a dog does. So we gave him baths. Grandma Vicky helped me the other day. We gave him three baths in one day because he's rolling in poo because he stinks so bad. Anybody need a dog? But what did Jesus do with the sheep? He didn't yell at it. The shepherd in that story didn't yell at the sheep, didn't castrate, didn't, didn't beat the sheep. He picks the sheep up, puts the sheep on his shoulders, which is a demonstration of love, a demonstration of care, a demonstration of forgiveness, a, a demonstration of just being kind. Picks it up, carries the sheep back to the flock, puts the sheep down, calls his neighbors. Why the sheep go wandering off? Because sheep are just kind of crazy animals. And, and they start eating. They're just looking around. They're just eating some grass here, eating some grass there. Maybe get a little drink there, eating some grass. And before long, looks up and goes, oh, everyone's gone, okay. And just kind of keeps on eating. It just wandered off because he kind of just lost his direction. And Jesus calls, or the shepherd calls his friends and says, I found my sheep. See what the scripture said? Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my sheep. He says, I'll tell you the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven where one sinner repents. In other words, gets back in the fold, so to speak, than the 99 who don't need to. So heaven 
celebrates. Look at the next story, verse 8. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And then she finds it. She calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I've found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, for some of us in this room, we read that story and we're like, what's such the big deal about a coin? I lose coins all the time. Some of you I got in your car, I probably could become rich because I'll find coins under your seat and in your middle council. And uh, I was at the hospital visit somebody the other day and we were talking about the guy that was in the bed. And they're like, yeah, you can follow him. You know where he is just by the trail of coins he leaves behind. For some of us, coins don't mean much. Some of you have coin jars that you've been collecting coins for in years. You probably go cash it in, probably could buy a car because you just keep throwing the coins in a jar and you keep throwing coins in a jar. For some, coins don't mean anything. But in that culture, one coin was equal to a day's worth of wages. So you stop and think for a moment and say, hold on a minute, if I lost a whole day's worth of wages, how is that going to impact your budget for that month? Is that going to set you behind? And you're going to say, well, it's going to take me a couple months to recover. For some, that's extremely devastating unless you've been really prudent in your finances and you go, no, I got some savings backed up and I'm living the Dave Ramsey principle and I, I could lose a day of wages. I'll be okay. We'll make it and I'll just rebuild. But a lot of people are not in that spot. Do you know 68% of Americans do not have $1,000 in their bank account? 68%? That means if you lost a day's worth of wages, that's going to greatly impact what you're doing for that week or for that month. That's the situation she's in. She loses one coin a day worth of wages. She starts turning the, the tables upside down, starts digging down on the couches. You know, she's finding the popcorn and the cookies, so to speak, going, I got to find this coin. It's got to be somewhere around here. She's looking for it because it's that important. It's kind of like in this room. If I told you all here that I have $1 hidden in this room, You'd probably be, and I say, go, go look for it. You'd probably all just sit and stare at me. Now, maybe one or two of you would say, oh, I'm going to find a dollar. I'll take a dollar. However, if I said in this room, there's $10,000 hidden in this room, you find it, it's yours. Do you think you'd be turning over the chairs and the tables and you'd be looking high and low? You probably would. Now, there may be one or two of you go, I'm not doing that game because he's probably lying to me. There's not $10,000. But if there really was, you'd be turning. You know what I would say to you first, don't you? Whoever finds it, my first question is going to be what? Did you tithe off of it? Come on now. Did you say split it? That's a good idea too. That's a better one. I like that. Split it with me. But yeah, if that was, that's the kind of idea. Like she lost this coin. It's that important. It'd be like you guys have $10,000 a room. I want to find it. I'll mess up all these chairs. I'm going to find it. I'll look high. I'll look low. Because she knows it's that important to her livelihood. And that's the story he's sharing. That's how important it is. And then look what happens. Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. Did that, was that said also in the story about the shepherd and the sheep? Now, now let's talk about a couple of words here that we need to have defined. The word sinner. It's a word we don't like in our culture today. We can't dare tell someone they're a sinner. You know, you're a sinner. Oh, no, you can't tell me that. Don't tell me how to live my life. You can't direct me what to do. No, sin is, is something that God has called. That's his word, and we're allowed to use that word. And we got to be honest with ourselves that we are all sinners. And the word sin basically just means missing the mark. I hold a target up here, and I say, you got to hit that target. And you shoot, and you miss the mark. That's what? You just miss the target. So that's sin. 
God holds up the target and he says, here's the target. It's right here inside of God's word. Here's how to live your life. Here's what I want you to do. Here's how to operate. Here's how the purposes of life are. And when we don't do it God's way, what? We just miss the mark. And he says there's rejoicing when one sinner, one person who misses the mark, what? Repents. The word repent simply means to do a U-turn. It means to turn around. It means to own up and say, I've been doing it my way. My way doesn't work. I want to do it God's way. So when God says, here's the target I want you to shoot at, and you're missing the mark because you're, you're going your own direction. You're doing your own thing. You're saying, I can figure out life on my own. I don't need God's direction. I don't need his word. I'll walk in my own steps. You just continually miss the mark. But when you get to the point saying, you know what? I want to start hitting the mark because I'm going to follow God's word. I want to do it his way. Then you repent. You turn around and say, God, I, I own my sin. I own my wrongs. I own that, I, that I've been doing it my way. I want to do it your way. And so I'm going to do a U-turn, and I'm going to put you back in charge, and I'm going to do a U-turn where I follow in your footsteps and not walk in my own footsteps. And so there's rejoicing when one sinner turns from doing it their way and says, I'm going to do it God's way. One more story. Verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, say to, say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to, said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick! Bring the best robe and put it on and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. So they began to celebrate. Now we'll stop there because the rest of the story gets into the jealous brother and I don't want to deal with that part of the text today. So we're going to just talk about this part of the text. You stop and think about this for a moment. At the very beginning, he goes to his dad and says, Dad, can I have my estate? Can I have my share? Now, why would anybody do that? If my kids came to me and said, can I have my estate? I'd be like, there's no way you can have your estate because I, I might be needing it for me down the road. So what's going on in text? What's going on is dad is much older in age, probably closer to death. And he's going to his dad thinking, dad, there's not much time left. You know, it's, it's coming to an end. So can I just get my money sooner? It'd be like me going to my mom, who is 78 years old and saying, mom, you know, you're getting off close. Can I have my money? You know what my mom's response would be? She'd probably smack me. I might get a backhand again. She may say, get your money. Nope, you're out of the will now. You know, that, 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 but that's the situation. He goes to his dad. Dad, you're up in age. Can I just have it now? He's basically, dad, I want to go live life on my own. And his dad says, sure, have your share. And he goes out and he parties it away. 
and he wasted away living a wild life with prostitution and whatever else he's doing. And then a severe famine comes. It had been like prior to 2008. Things were going good and all of a sudden what happened in 2008? All the markets, everything crashed and everything was like, oh my goodness, everything's horrible. It was one of those situations like I've got all this good and now I can't do anything because there's famine in the land. You know, we've been on quite a good run for the last 11, 12 years, right? And all the, all the hoopla this week was, oh, the stock market hit the highest high it's ever had. It's, da, 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 going down the list. How good things are. There's bound to be a correction. There's bound to be another time, like another 2008, in our nearest future, they would probably say. It'd be like one of those things, like, oh, everything's so great. And then all the money's gone and all the businesses dry up. And now what am I going to do? And life gets so bad that he gets hired out to be a pig servant. And he's serving the pigs and he's looking down going, look what the pigs are eating. Maybe I can get some of that. I would say that's a pretty low point, point of life, would you not? You ever been that point of life where you're like, things are miserable. I'll, I'll take whatever I can take. I'll get whatever I can get. And he realizes life is so bad so terrible, he's like, the only thing I can do is go back to my father. And if I can go back to my father and just be one of his servants, he's thinking about his father's servants who are being fed better than he's being fed. I'll just go back and, and I'll just go back and tell him how bad I've been and, and just kind of repent and hopefully he'll at least take me in as a servant. And he goes back and what a beautiful picture as he's going back and off in a distance, his dad sees him. And what did his dad do? I mean, natural reaction. Let's be honest with each other. That's your child, and your child goes off and squanders life and says, I want to come back home. I mean, natural reaction may be, I'm not sure if you're coming back home. Let's sit down and have a conversation. It may be lock the door. No way. You took everything, and you squandered it away, and you went and lived life wild and crazy. Have fun, son. Go figure it out. See how you get out of that mess. I mean, that would be a natural human reaction. Like, we got to talk. We got to lay down some rules. Some guy. You're not just walking back into my house. I mean, that would be what our natural response would be. Most parents would not be like, yeah, come on back. I want to throw a party. You've wasted all my money, and now I want to welcome you back. But the Scripture tells us that he sees off at a distance. He sees his son, and he says that he ran to his son. He didn't wait for his son to get, it, get there. He didn't say, son, let's sit down and hash out some things. He didn't say, hey, we got to work out some of the difficulties we've been through. He didn't say, i got to know everything you've been doing. What would you do with all the money? He saw his son. He says he ran to them, and he does what? Puts her arms around him, hugs him, and kisses him, and says, my son who has been gone, who has been lost, is back. Let's throw a party. Throw a party? That doesn't make sense to our human minds, does it? Throw a party, the one who went and squandered everything, he says, get him the robe. Get him the ring, the, the, the ring that makes you part of the family. Put some sandals on his feet. Let's clean him up. Let's get the best fattened calf and let's cook that thing for him. And let's have a party because my son who was lost, who has been wandering, is now back. What hope that gives you and me. Maybe you're in this room today and you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm that son. I've been off wandering. I've been off doing life all by myself. It's, it's been kind of a mess. God's waiting for you to turn and take one step towards him and he's, his arms are wide open. It's called the cross for Jesus died. And it's heaven, in heaven, the angels will greatly rejoice. Look again what it says in the text. 
But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him filled with compassion for him, ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And then verse 23, let's have a feast and celebrate, for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he was found. A picture of God's heart in three stories. The the sheep that was off and wandering, gently put on the shoulders, brought back to the fold. Tell my friends, let's rejoice because my sheep that was gone is now has been found. The lady loses a coin, searches high and low, finds a coin, calls my friends, hey, will you rejoice with me? And they rejoice. Let's have a party, so to speak, because the coin was lost and now it's been found. The son who says, I'm going to do life all by my own, I'm going to follow my rules for living, goes and blows life and blows money. When he turns around and comes back, he repents. God says, that's my son. Let's throw a party. What do these stories mean for us as a church? What do they mean for us as individuals? There's a lot of lessons within this text. I love Luke chapter 15. We could spend several weeks on this text, just breaking it down even further. But let me just share with you two lessons I think are so important for us to know here this July. One is we search for the lost and wandering. That's our job as the church. Jesus gave the marching orders when he said, go in all the world and make disciples, preach, teach, and baptize, right? That's why we're doing what we're doing this Tuesday, going to Salmon Creek, Washington, because it's part of searching, coming alongside. That's why we put mission dollars at $400 a month to Salmon Creek, Washington, to help with that church plant, to get off the ground, going into an area where 95% of the people don't know Jesus because we're on the process of searching. That means we can't stay here at 865 Greendale Road and this nice, comfortable church building that we have to move outside of these sacred walls and go to people because they don't just come to where we are. That means as a church, we must be willing to go to the bar if it takes going to the bar. That means that we be willing to go to Keeneland Racetrack if that's where we're going to find people who don't know Jesus. That means we must be willing to go to the homeless shelter if that's where God wants us to go. That means we're willing to walk on the factory floor and realize that my job is not just a job, but that's actually my mission field and that's where we'll go. I'll go to my hairdresser and I'll talk about Jesus and my hairdresser or with my barber and the local halls of the high school that we realize I'm in high school, but it's not just to get grades. It's I'm there as a missionary to share who Jesus is. That means that I'll do that. That means I'll go to my local community center. I'll go to Malone's or I'll go to Starbucks or I'll go to the Rotary Club. I'll go to the Country Club. I'll go to the UK Hospital. I'll go to the Grader's Ice Cream. I'll go to the Marquee Cancer Center. I'll go to Louisville. You guys are slower than first service. I'll go where the lost and the wandering are with the job of carrying the message of the gospel, with helping people who are lost be found. See, the church must go where people are. That's what we must do. We cannot wait for people to come to us. Years ago, church buildings would be get built and people would just kind of flock and go to them. Not now. People would drive by churches left and right and not even think about, I need to be going to church. That's just what our Next Step team continues to work on. We shared a lot during this spring and we did our dream event and talking about where we're going for the next three years, and our next step he's been working during the summer, trying to go, okay, now we've got all this information. How do we go in our community to those who are hurting and to the broken and to the family, just as Jesus did? See, by and large, most people have found an abundant reasons not to come here. Your neighbors and your coworkers and your family and friends, and if you've invited them, you've probably heard the reasons. 
Well, I'm busy on Sunday. That's my only day off. I want to go golf and I want to read the newspaper. I want to be on the internet. I want to sleep in that day. I'm so busy every other day of the week. And so why would I get up and go to church? Because that's what people think about today that are not part of God's family. See, the church must go where people are. We must meet them where they are. We must love them as they are. We, with God's help, though, and the power of the Holy Spirit, we bring them to Jesus. That means we go to people who look different than us. We go to people who have different skin color than us. We go to people who, who don't think the same way we think, who don't believe the same way we believe, and we lovingly show them Jesus. That's what these stories are about going searching for the lost and the wanderer. We cannot expect people to come to us. We must go to where they are. Jesus tells these three stories, lost sheep, lost coin, lost son, and he was speaking of himself and his father and about their great love for lost people. And as Christ followers, then we should be walking in that same pattern. See, if we're going to be like Jesus, we must do what he would do if he were here today. That's what we must do. You come to think about it, he is here with us today. He left his spirit here to live inside of us because Christ lives in us. And so he's with us and he's urging us, are you going to do it? Are you going to live out the mission? Are you going to go where, where the lost are? Are you going to go looking? Are you going to go searching? Are you going to not uh, hold back from going into a hurting world? And that's our job, to search for the lost. Second lesson I want us to see is this, is that God likes to party. He likes to celebrate. He really does. See, the Bible says that God is throwing a party in heaven when one believer or one sinner repents and turns to him. Every single time in that text, when a sinner repented and turned to God, what happened? They called their friends and they rejoiced. A party is thrown. They're celebrating that someone turned from their way of living and say, I'm going to follow God's way. It's going to be an ultimate family reunion and it's going to be last for eternity and it's going to be like a party. The goal of my life is to make sure that I'm at God's party and to make sure that my family and friends are there as well. Do you live that way? Do you live with that mindset that I'm here to search for people who don't know God? God's invited you to his party, but not just you. He's invited your coworkers, your family members, your friends, your neighbors, the waiter, the waitress, the, your, everyone who, to, who you interact with. He's invited all of them. And the price of admission has already been paid by Jesus who died on a cross. And we get the great opportunity to help people partner and get to know who God is by introducing them to Jesus. You can be at that party. Just accept the invitation. Your friends can be at that party. You've got to accept the invitation. See, what we have to do is we have to have enough belief that no matter how far life has wandered, no matter how far they've squandered life, even like the, the son who's wandered from the father, you stop and think about that. Most of those people would probably be labeled in a category in our minds of they're never going to turn around. That son who squandered all the money, he's living out the party lifestyle, he's living with prostitutes. Many times we think, there's no way they would ever turn. And many of us have people in our lives that are like that. There's no way they're going to turn around. They, they're, they're unbelievers. They have, they have denied God. They, they do this, they do that. We got to have the belief, just as the father did, that my son's going to return. And I'm going to run to him. I'm going to be the hands and feet of Jesus. I'm going to show them the love of Jesus. And God's going to party, and we're going to party with them. That's the mission. Church, we've got to hold on to it. We can't let go of it. 
We've got to fight for it. We've got to work towards it. So these next few weeks, we're continuing just thinking about God's heart as we think also towards the fall and going, what are we doing the next few years as a church? How are we going to in- influence? How are we going to go into our communities to show the heart of Jesus? Would you bow your